Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of Monsters Who Murder. The serial killer whisperer is in the house. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. I'm in the house. Woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just looked so white just then. <laughs> <laughs> you did, but I'm the only one who saw it. <laughs> uh, Amanda, BTK part four, the final episode of the BTK series, the final episode of the season. I know, and I'm already like up to season 12, I think so you know what I'm like I'm always I'm still going and people keep throwing some great episode ideas at us and some of them are already on the list but some of them aren't some of them is like oh I think I might do that and then someone goes can you please do this and then everyone jumps on it says yes that would be a great case and that's what I'm doing so I've I've been jumping ahead and in the next season I actually have a new detective that I absolutely love so Ah. yep detective Flores is going into into um, place number two. So, oh, how, wow. yeah, how's that for a, a big shake-up? So. That could be an interesting episode. Uh, <laughs> Amanda there drooling as we record. No, not so. drooling, just this amazing guy who is doing a interview so well and is like, wow, this guy I wish we had on every interview. I can't wait to hear him because uh, I get a bit frustrated, as you well know. <laughs> you do. Mm. All right. Well, BTK is coming up shortly. In the meantime, let's get into the news. Because the decomposed remains of a woman's body have washed up on a beach on the New South Wales south coast. Police have identified remains inside a shoe as those belonging to Sydney millionaire and alleged fraudster Melissa Caddick. The corporate watchdog raided her home in November and she's been missing ever since. Police will not completely rule out foul play despite the more likely possibility Mrs Caddick may have taken her own life. Amanda, this is the big question, isn't it? Was she killed or did she end things? She ripped off allegedly a lot of people? Yeah, um, when you told me that we found a foot in a shoe, I got a little bit excited because if anyone knows about the British Columbia case where there's been about 25 feet in shoes turn up, I was really excited. And then you said it's this woman, so it's not part of that case. But, I mean, a foot in a shoe, yeah, she could have been uh, like snake bait. Uh, yeah, she could have been shark bait, but I really don't know. I, but I, oh, she was going to escape and get away with all of these millions of dollars allegedly um, because her bank accounts apparently the family have said has only got a couple of grand in it and so has she taken off with everything and has someone decided that she has really sort of 
done something illegal against people who aren't too happy with her and may have taken matters into their own hands. So I'm, mm. I, I, I want to lean towards a murder. I want to, I don't want it, I don't want it to be, but I think we're more likely to see her fall into the wrong hands. But um, I think we're likely going to see that she's taken the way out that probably uh, prevented her family having to go through a lot of um, awful court cases and everything. Mm. But, you know. It's, it's an interesting case, but, yeah, a foot in a shoe, that's how you win a place in my heart. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently some joggers found the shoe and um, when they picked it up, uh, a bone fell out of it. So uh, not very pleasant. No, no, but... it's not a way to go either way. So No. Anyway, let's move on. Anthony Sowell, who hid the decomposing bodies of 11 black women at his home, died of an undisclosed terminal illness. Sowell terrorised the city of Cleveland with a macabre series of murders until his arrest in 2009. He'd been on death row since 2011. Amanda, apparently this wasn't COVID-19 related. It's one of the most recent uh, serial killer deaths that hasn't involved COVID-19. Yeah, no, it's crazy. We've seen so many drop from COVID or COVID-related illnesses, um, but he had a terminal uh, illness, likely a cancer, I would say. Um, they don't really get a lot of treatment in, in prisons. They're just given sort of comfort and um, he's died. But it's really sad when um, your w- Wikipedia page doesn't get updated. It just proves that he's really not a newsworthy person. I was hoping that someone had sort of found out the details and at least put it on, onto a Wikipedia page, but even that hasn't happened yet. Um, but this is an in- interesting guy and, and he is someone that we are going to do. I spoke to him very, very briefly um, but didn't get very far with him. Some people, when you try and talk to them, they really aren't interested or they sort of come across with things that I think, yeah, no, I'm, it's, it's not going to fit. Um, and so he was one I didn't talk to for very long. But, yeah, this is a guy that had a history going back years and years and years and then um, when they finally actually caught up with him and realised that there was these dead bodies in his house, they're like, oh, wow, this is where that smell was coming from. He'd actually been caught for attacking other women previously and when the police sort of checked his background, they didn't bother to look very hard and didn't find that that he had a history of violence against women. So um, Mm. he was one of those spectacular cases that happened but then it sort of died down very quickly and now it looks like he's probably died of cancer. Mm. All right. Well, talking about cause of deaths, the cause of death of one of Australia's most notorious serial killers has been revealed. Ivan Milat, known as the Backpacker Killer, was serving a life sentence at Sydney's Long Bay Jail when he died. A coronial inquest into his death ruled that at 4.07am on October 27, 2019, the 74-year-old succumbed to a cancer. According to Nine News, there were instructions not to resuscitate him and he was pronounced dead. In the months and weeks leading up to his death, the serial killer repeatedly refused treatment for his terminal cancer. Amanda, if I remember correctly, this is pretty much what you thought had happened? Yeah, I mean, I was suspecting esophageal cancer purely because of the injuries that he had sustained over the years from his tantrums where he would actually swallow things like pins and paper clips and staples and things like that, um, that these can actually cause injuries to, to the throat and, and the entire esophagus down to the stomach. And then what happens is that those injuries don't get to heal as well as you would expect and then they can sort of become sort of um, growth worthy and then they become cancerous so this is something that can happen and it's interesting uh, because a lot of people say well esophageal cancer oh well that just proves that he was a smoker because there's a whole thing about smoking and this case but um, uh, Malat was not a smoker 
So um, it, it can happen. I know people mm. that have died from esophageal cancer and none of them were actually smokers. So though it's often linked to smoking, as is lung cancer, you don't necessarily have to smoke to actually uh, get these sorts of cancers. Interesting. I'm intrigued by the um, the do not resuscitate notice. Does that come from him or from the jail or from a doctor? Good. Who decides that? Good pick up. Well, he doesn't really get a, a choice. I mean, there is an ethical degree here that they actually have to uh, give him comfort, um, but they really don't sort of prolong their lives when uh, they have a terminal illness like this. So he wouldn't have gone through the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy that that someone on the outside would have had. So he would have just sort of had comfort m measures, probably had um, access to morphine or something like that just to make those last couple of days and weeks uh, worth right. it. But that's about it, yeah. He he would have had to have signed a DNR. It's actually a legal document that someone in the family or the person has to sign um, because if he was suddenly taken to... Um, RPA or somewhere, uh, that they would have continued to fight for life uh, because they sort of have to um, unless there is a DNR in place to do not resuscitate and then they just sort of give comfort, pain relief until the person passes away. So, but he didn't have the choice to be resuscitated? No, not really. I mean... If he was taken to a hospital, they would have still tried to resuscitate him, but this is why he, he was in the hospital, in, in the jail, to just sort of slowly fade away. Okay. There are fears a new serial killer is on the loose after the murder of four people in their homes in South Africa. A murder investigation has opened, but no motive has been established yet. Amanda, I'm intrigued. What are the early signs to indicate a serial killer is at work? When are they for murders? When does a pattern emerge and how does a pattern emerge? It's interesting that you and I are working on a secret project that actually talks about the possibility of a new serial killer. But in this case, um, what it, it, it can be chosen from a very first victim. Uh, sometimes I can say, look, if this person wasn't caught, they would have gone on to be a serial killer. But often it's about those similarities. So like we've been talking about in BTK and how they actually sort of go through these signature processes. So the tying of knots, the location of stab wounds like it is in this case. You know, um, one of them was stabbed in their homes and it was quite early in the morning. Then the next morning early, another person was stabbed in their home. These have usually been either elderly people or middle-aged people, so he's not right. focusing on young people. So they sort of start to put things together and say, well, there's a close proximity of these cases. The victimology is quite similar. This person is stabbing each victim and they're stabbing them quite extensively. So there's that overkill element in this case. So they're sort of starting to pinpoint these things together and once they start to realise there is a pattern, they often then go back and look at other earlier cases, I mean, because often these serial killers are not found until towards the end, some, mm. some of them, and so then they sort of go back five years to see what's been happening in the last five years and if there's other cases, then they go back even further. And it's often that it's later that they find out that there is a serial killer because sometimes they like to work in different regions and different suburbs and different states even to try and um, stop these agencies coming together to see if they do have a serial killer. But here it just it's looking like with these elderly people being stabbed multiple times in their homes that there is that pattern that's already emerging. So, mm. And he's been going quickly, so it's quite possible that there may be more victims before they get him. But now they're al already starting to think that way. Um, his time's probably almost up. Interesting. Hey, um, 
got a confession to make of my own. We're on Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. This is Monsters Who Murder Rob McKnight Confessions. So <laughs> I stuffed up on the last episode and it turns out that I left something like 60 seconds of us talking after the episode had finished and that went up onto the Patreon feed. And I have now been alerted to it when we started recording today. <laughs> it has been fixed. Those 60 seconds are gone. But that's a reason why you should be on Patreon. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get through my stuff up. For as little as $5 a month, you can get early access to new episodes, stuff ups and all, before we fix them up for the free feed. So <laughs> if you ever want to know what Amanda and I talk about when we're recording and when the show's <laughs> off, you would have heard a little bit about that uh, this week. So get on Patreon. You never know how I'll stuff up again. <laughs> But there's plenty of other uh, benefits. You get to talk to Amanda if you're on the $10 tier. You get a Facebook conversation with her. She's on there all the time. There's a secret Patreon Facebook page. The $20 plus gets a monthly video chat, which we're doing tonight. And uh, we also have the $50 where you get a one-on-one -on -one video chat and a Monsters Who Murder mug. Collector's items, those ones. <laughs> there's no other way to get them. So make sure you go to patreon.com slash m. WM Confessions. You should know what it's called now, but reach out to Amanda if you don't. It's patreon.com slash MWM Confessions. We'll be right back with BTK Part 4. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shocking celebrity secrets. Justin Bieber's word against mine. Backstage drama. All of a sudden, Dolly Parton walks into the room. And controversial opinions. I'm not saying she's been approached. I'm saying this is what I'm hearing is the crunching options. TV Black Box, the podcast where people who've worked in the TV industry spill their juiciest stories. Julie used to like to drink on set. TV Black Box, available in your favourite podcast feed. <laughs> Well, we now continue with our psychological profile on Dennis Rader. As you know, he's also known as BTK. Look, we strongly suggest you go back and listen to the other three episodes on Rader before you listen to this episode. This is the final episode in this series. In the last three episodes, we've gone through the 1974 murders of the Otero family, the murder of Catherine Bright, and the attempted murder on her brother Kevin before Raider stopped killing for three years. Then in the last episode, we examined Raider's confession for the March 1977 murder of Shirley Vianne Relford and the murder of Nancy Fox in December 1977. We now turn to the murder of Maureen Wallace Hedge in April 1985. This is almost eight years after the last murder. All right, sir, let's turn to count eight. In count eight, it is claimed that on or about the 27th day of April 1985 to the 28th day of April 1985, 
in Sedgwick County, Kansas. It is claimed that you unlawfully killed a human being, Marine Hedge, maliciously, willfully, deliberately, and with premeditation by strangulation, inflicting injuries from which Marine Hedge did die on April 27, 1985. Can you tell me what occurred on that day? Well, actually, uh, kind of like the others, uh, she was chosen. You've stopped me already, Amanda. Your <laughs> antenna's up. What have you spotted? Well, here we have uh, Raider again going through his his victims like their babies. Like this is like a grandparent saying, "Oh, you know, just like the others. You know, this is all my kids, and they're all the same, and they're all amazing." And he's just sort of making sure that we don't forget that he's a serial killer. You know, this is the product of his life, and this is what he did, and this is his baby. And he just wants to make sure that everyone remembers that all these cases are linked together. You know, it's just petty. But this is what they do to sort of get their point across that they believe that they're better than the rest of us and this is still that control issue. Mm. All right, let's continue. Well, actually, uh, kind of like the others, uh, she was chosen. Uh, I went through the different phases, uh, stalking phase, and since she lived down the street from me, I could watch the coming and going quite easily. Whoa! She lives in the same street? That's a huge risk, isn't it? Yeah, this is one of those cases that um, because it was unsolved for so long, there were a lot of theories that come up about uh, this killer and that the geographical profile of him actually moved him away because there is absolutely no way that someone would think that a killer would actually move victims closer to home <laughs> when every time you kill it's actually a greater risk. And we know that he's is failed that the quite dramatically. It? Because you assume they're not going to do it, they're not going to shit in their own backyard, right? Yeah. 100%, 100%. This is why the, the geographical profiles had him, you know, a couple of kilometres away. People think that they, they're going to go further away as they expand their experience and and sort of uh, go outside of their comfort zone. He's literally bringing the comfort zone to his, to his front yard. It's amazing that he did this, you know, and... By doing this, as he said, he can just sit at home or mow the grass and watch her. You know, this makes perfect sense. As you said, it's a stroke of genius. But it's amazing that we expect killers to do the opposite. They move away. And this is why um, profiling doesn't work as well as it used to because we're realising that they all make up their own rules. So it's about profiling each killer individually. And Mm. this, they were way off. Yeah, okay. Well, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, on that particular date, I, uh, uh, I uh, had a, uh, a other commitment. I came back from that commitment, parked my car over at uh, Woodlawn and 21st Street uh, at Bowling Alley there at that time. Uh, before that, I dressed until I had some other clothes on, I changed clothes. I went to the Bowling Alley, uh, went in there, I had a pretty sense of bowling, called a taxi. Had a taxi take me out to Park City. Uh, I had my kit with me as a bowling bag. All right, that was Park City in Sedgwick County, yes, Kansas. Sir. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right, we had the taxi take you to Park City. What happened then? Uh, there, I asked. I, I uh, pretended that I was a little uh, drunk. I just took. I just took some beer and forced it around my mouth. And the guy could probably smell the alcohol on me. I asked, told him to let me out so I could get some fresh air. And I walked from where the taxi let me off over to her house. Now. I've got to say, I know you haven't been appreciative of his intelligence. It's been a bit of a letdown. But I've just two clips in a row, I'm seeing cleverness from this guy. 
doing it close to home, going against all geographical profiling that existed at the time, and now pretending to be drunk, I don't know, that's pretty clever to me. Well, I don't know, because he's just now brought another potential witness into the case. So, you know, though cabbies don't remember every single fare, you know, but when the news broke of this murder, surely he would have said, oh, yeah, I let a drunk guy out at this street because he was within walking distance. And, you know, there's there's things that, there that could have gone wrong. Um, but... It, <laughs> I mean, this is why I'm not a serial killer. I mean, besides that, it's bad to kill people. <laughs> but I, I don't have the energy to do stuff like this. Like, you know, oh, I've got an extra pair of clothes. I went and had to buy a beer to make sure that when I got into the taxi, I appeared drunk and then I had to walk from here and move over there and run up and down the street and knock on doors. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And this is why serial killers don't make it to old age killing because it's a lot of work and they just can't keep killing. Uh, it's, it's, it's clever to a point, but at the same time it's a massive risk to do this, you know, because someone might have seen him get out of her cab near his home, go, why is Dennis getting a taxi home? And then it's like, well, is there rumour mills? Oh, Dennis was drunk and caught a taxi home and got left out at the wrong place. And someone go, well, why were you walking down that street? You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. He's, I think he's just lucky more than clever. Hmm. Well, he then goes into Maureen's home. Where does she live? Uh, 62, 42, 54, 62, 54, 62, 54, North Independence. All right, when you walked over there, what happened next? Well, as before, I was going to have uh, sexual fantasy, so I brought my hit kit, um, and uh, lo and behold, her car was there. I thought, gee, she's not supposed to be home. So I very carefully snuck into the house, kind of like a cat burglar. And after checking the house, she wasn't there. So about that time, the doors rattled. So I went, went back to one of the bedrooms and hid back there in one of the bedrooms. Uh, she came in with a male visitor. They were there for maybe an hour or so. <coughs> he left. I waited till wee hours in the morning uh, and then proceeded to... Uh, sneak into her bedroom and uh, flip the lights on with the black or I think the bathroom lights I just I didn't want to flip her lights on and and she screamed and I jumped on the bed and strangled her manually he was in the house for hours while she had a male friend over he really is a risk taker it, it is amazing to me he was not caught sooner yeah, imagine if um, the friend or her decided to say, oh, we'll go into that cupboard and get, like, you know, the kinky sex toys out of it and he's in there. You know, like, like where did he hide in this white woman's house for so long that they didn't notice? I don't go into every room of my house constantly, but there is all likelihood that if there was someone creeping around my house, I would probably notice, but obviously they you, don't. You say and that, but if they're hidden away and they're as quiet as a mouse, you wouldn't know. But I... But why would you make that sort of risk? Why didn't he wait until night time and go over there? Why did he go in and wait? Is it because she had a male friend over that he decided that he had to wait or what? It's just, as you said, it is such risky behaviour. But how do you know he didn't go in there waiting for her and then realise she was bringing someone home oh, and then had to hide because it becomes harder with two of them? Yeah, that, that's 100%. That. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% what, what's happened. He thought there was just going to be her coming home because being a neighbour, he probably doesn't expect her to have a male guest. It could be, you know, a friend that's lost someone and so he's, he's come over to have a drink with her or something. It could be anything, you know, but 
he's been usually attacking in the afternoon, middle of the day and things like that. So it's quite unusual that this time he's actually waited until the morning hours to attack. I mean, it's pretty much at witching hour that he attacks. It's terrifying to uh, consider that he was in that house for that long mm. and the thrill he would have felt that he could hear them and nothing was, you know, they just didn't know that they were that close mm. to death that soon. Um, he even had a bit of a chuckle in there. Uh, he's hopeless with addresses, but he doesn't care about knowing their names, but he keeps going over the addresses until he gets them right, you know. He knows where they roughly are. It's not funny, but he finds it funny. He he thinks it's funny that he's, he's getting the numbers of the house wrong, you know. It's basically, oh, I should have known this, but he doesn't see that that joviality with the pay, mm. uh, with the victim's names. The judge then pushes one of Raider's buttons with another question. Have a listen to this. All right, so she was in her bed when you turn on the lights in the bathroom? Yeah, the bathroom, yeah, just to, so I could get some light in there. All right, what did you do then? Well, I manually strangled her when she started to scream. So you but, used your hands? Yes, sir. And you strangled her? Did she die? Yes. Why is that a button push for him? Well, did I she find die? It f- well, I find it funny because basically the judge is saying, well, you screwed up every other one and, you know, oh. it took a couple of goes. <laughs> so, is that you where know, you think the judge was coming from? 100%. 100%. That he's actually coming at him saying, well, you know, it took you five goes last time. This time you're saying that you jumped on her and strangled her. Yeah, but really, did you now? Or are we just going to double check that? <laughs> All right. Radar then changes his MO. All right, what did you do then? Uh, after that, uh, since I was in the uh, sexual fantasy, I uh, went ahead and uh, stripped her and uh, probably went ahead and uh, I'm not sure if I tied her up at that point in time. But anyway, uh, she was nude and I put her on a blanket, uh, went through her purse, some personal items in the house, uh, figured out how I was going to get her out of there. Uh, eventually uh, moved her to the trunk of the car. <sighs> took the car over to uh, Christ Lutheran Church. I've got a couple of things here. First of all, the way he is almost analysing it like he's someone else. He's still using the self-person, but you know, like I was in the fantasy zone, you know. Um, why is he talking like that? Is that a detachment? Is that a him trying to understand or is that him trying to hide the thrill and excitement he got from these um, uh, actions? Well, we'll go for D, all of the above. So <laughs> you've, you've hit them all perfectly well. See, you're learning, Robert. You're learning. So, yeah, so this is about him sort of trying to be analytical because he knows that his sexual fantasies aren't normal. And it's a bit embarrassing, you know, like if I had to get up in court or you would have have to get up in court or something and we have to say we really like elbows, you know. It's, it's something that, that we're embarrassed to share. But this is what he did. This was his kink and this is what he wanted to do. And so he's trying to say that uh, in a clinical way this is what serial killers do rather than this is what he does because he has um, sexual preferences for weird things that most people would find heinous. And so it's all of that sort of mixed into it that, um, you know, and, and he even sort of did a great big sigh in that like, oh, this is dull and boring because I can't sort of go into it, you know, and then I punched her here and I you know, stabbed her there and all of that because that's not part of it. Um, that's not what they want to hear. They just want to know that they, these people died, uh, that they don't go into a lot of the the in, injury details. So uh, it's uh, 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of do, but I think that you said it perfectly with all of that. It is all of those things rolled into one. Sure, I'll be doing this season, next season by myself then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got to say, there was a sign there and that was really, really forced. It was, you know, it, it was this dull and mundane, but it's not like a, which I do a lot, and those on Patreon that saw my body language video on Ed Kemper, I did that a lot. I probably did it too much, but it was quite frustrating. But he's doing it the same way. But it's so exaggerated that, you know, like really, we really going to go here? Just say, you know, as above and just change the name. That's what, what he wants to do, you know. But It's a rinse and repeat. It is, it is. But... The major point here is that there's a change in what he's doing, you know. He isn't a killer that takes bodies and now he's taking a victim. You know, it's something that he sort of like wanted to skip over but he did this when she was nude. So he has killed this woman, then put her into his car and taken her away from the property. This is massive. This is the big change. This is where a shift happens. Is this because he's older? Has he been working out for these last eight years to be able to do this? Did he think that he was done and then suddenly this woman in his street was someone important? Like, this is big. This is big. Did he leave because um, it is his street, that this was too close, that he wanted to do more with her and it was a possibility that he knows that Karen comes over at 3 o'clock for coffee? I don't know. But there is something here that changed this and to him it's dull and boring so he doesn't even go across it and they don't actually ask why but we go through the, uh, the process. Well, he continues with his plans with Maureen's body. <sighs> Took the car over to... Uh... Christ Lutheran Church. Uh, this is with the older church. And uh, I took some pictures of her. All right. You took some photographs of her. What kind of camera did you use? Uh, poor Lord. Did you keep those photographs? Yes. The police probably have them. Uh, is this why he moved the body? So that he could, you know, he obviously gets off. We've talked about the idea that he... Um, enjoys the moment with these dead naked bodies is this for later use he's now thinking ahead and not just getting that instantaneous um release and excitement but now he's taking things photos so that he can enjoy relive those moments Okay, I will confirm now that Robert will be doing season 11 by himself. He no longer needs me. <laughs> yeah, so so this is an escalation because we have this massive change. We're now moving a body, which, again, is massive risky behaviour. But it is about that he wants more time with her. And the fact that there is such a massive gap, it's quite interesting to think what has been going on during that time. Did he feel that he was close to being getting caught last time so he's just sort of had to stop and he thought I can't do this anymore and then he had someone so close to him that he could covet her closely rather than from afar he didn't have to go and check where they worked didn't have to check Mm. mailboxes he knew this woman he knew where Maureen lived he could watch her by being the normal person that he had sort of become because he'd compartmentalized this so his fantasy has now moved and we know that there's polaroids of him doing what he does to her body so he sort of reenacts this. So was he reenacting these photos or was he 
creating these photos to know that this is what he was going to do with her body once he took her. So there is this interesting change and it is about that post-mortem sexual pleasure. We're not getting the details, but we're getting that, yes, he wanted to take her and defile her body and shame her body and make it perverse so he could take these photos because he realised now that um, he has a Polaroid camera. He could probably afford one by that point. There were several hundred dollars. And he could actually have like a lasting souvenir. He was taking things like driver's licenses and watches and stuff before. But take your photo of, of a body, that's like, that's next level. Mm. Let me ask you, is it possible that he did give up for whatever, whatever reason that was, whether it was it got too close or there was someone else in his life? And the reason this one is close to home, because it was this obsession this obsession grew watching his neighbor he saw her all the time and it might have just started off a couple of glances and he noticed but the more he saw her the more he became infatuated with her the more she became his target and his object of desire so it wasn't a planned thing to get back into serial killing it was totally based on lust and that need that he has and she presented right at his house and she became the focus. Yeah, I mean, we we know things like the Florence Nightingale um, effect. So when you're around someone a lot, you kind of get used to them and they, you know, you, you, you love someone because you're around them so often sometimes. Uh, we can go into stalking and stuff, but that's a whole nother episode that we'll do. But um, it's interesting that this is so close to home because it actually suggests that, that he had felt tied down so he is at a place probably with young children his wife wants him around more often not going out at night not sort of wondering where he is all day you know wondering why he takes this briefcase when he doesn't need it for his job and all of this sort of stuff that he now becomes accountable for so he has to do it a different way and what do you do you cover what you see and that's what he did exactly as you Mm. described it let's go back to the court case all right what happened there uh, that was it. Uh, went, uh, took, uh, she went through, I tied it, she was already dead, so I took uh, pictures of her in different forms of bondage. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> I haven't heard him so flustered. Yep, he's done. He's mentally exhausted by all of this. This is taking its toll. He's sweating. He's um, He was standing quite straight at the start of this. And, I mean, this is only about half an hour into the interview. So, you know, we've spread this over, what, three hours so far and that this is going to be a fourth and we've only done half an hour of, of information from him. But this is showing how it's taking its toll. So though he comes in with these um, with these tight barbs about you know oh yeah I killed her like the others and all of that he Mm. is drained his shoulders are shrugging over he's um taking sips of water he's patting his forehead and now he can't even answer a simple question because he's done he he's he didn't realize that this was going to be so emotionally draining that it is yeah okay well look he does get his thoughts together he finally gives the judge an answer but listen to the way he talks over the judge uh, that was it. Uh, went, uh, took, uh, she went through, I tied it, she was already dead, so I took uh, pictures of her in different forms of bondage. And that's probably what got me in trouble with the bondage thing. So anyway, that's the, probably the, the main thing. But anyway, after that, I uh, moved her back out to the car, and then uh, we went east on 53rd. All right, what occurred then? 
Sir? What happened then? Oh, uh, trying to find a place to hide her, hide the body. Did you find a place? Yes. Yes, I did. Where? Uh, couldn't tell you without looking at a map, but it was on 53rd, uh, Queen Greenwich, maybe. Maybe, what's, what's the other one, Queen Greenwich, Greenwich Rock? I think between Wed and Webb and Greenwich, I found a, a ditch, a low place on the north side of the road, and hit her there. All right, you say you hit her there? Well, there were some, there were some trees, some brush, and I laid that over the top of her body. All right, so you removed the body from the car, put her in the ditch, and then laid some, some brush over the body. Yes, sir. All right. Did I mishear, or did he use the term we when talking about driving the car? Yeah, he did. It's like they were going for a Sunday drive. But no, he's got a dead body in the boot and all, all the trunk in, in the US um, and is driving her around to find a place to dump her. Now, he was driving around to find a place. He didn't think that far ahead. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. So he knew this time he wanted to take her, but he hadn't thought about what happens after. So... Um, Dumping a body is quite hard. Bodies are quite big and very difficult unless you sort of chop them up and throw them out in the ocean. Not that I'm telling you that's the best way to do it. But um, he then had this body I thought the best way car. was to feed them to the pigs. Well, that works too, but you've got to take out the teeth and shave the heads first, so it's a bit of ah, extra stuff. Now, see, I didn't know that. I thought you could just feed them the whole body to the pigs and yeah, they nah, take nah. everything. The teeth and hair go straight through and you can get DNA. Oh, well. Sorry, guys. Lessons for serial killers. <laughs> You know, out in the middle of the ocean, like Dexter did it right, except he didn't realise that there was a continental shelf underneath him and that's how they found the Bay Harbour Butcher. Not that I love the show or anything. But, yeah, but it's interesting <laughs> that, that he hadn't thought that far ahead and so he needed to find somewhere and he needed to find somewhere quickly and a dead body is heavy. A dead body is heavier than a living body. I don't know why, but they are because it's basically a dead weight. I mean, that's where the term comes from. But uh, you don't have the help and then it depends on how long he's got it. They just do start to go into rigor mortis and then they're very hard to move or shape or, you know, to, to, to roll over into a ball or something. So, yeah. Okay, the confession then moves to the murder of Vicky Lynn Wegerly 18 months later in September 1986. Sir, in count nine... It is claimed on or about the 16th day of September 1986 in Cedric County, Kansas, that you unlawfully killed a human being, Vicki Wegerly, maliciously, willfully, deliberately, and with premeditation by strangulation, inflicting injuries from which said Vicki Wegerly did die on September 16, 1986. Can you tell me what you did here in Cedric County on that day that makes you believe you are guilty? Yes. Uh, again, Vicky was Beggarly was another potential victim. I went through those different phases, uh, locked in on her, as I would call it, and uh, decided that I would try that date. I used a ruse as a uh, telephone repairman to get in their house. Uh, drove there in my own personal car uh, around lunchtime, during lunch hour, or approximately that time. It was earlier in the morning than that, and. Uh, but my, I actually went somewhere else and changed uh, changed my clothes, what I, what I call my uh, hip clothes. And, hip uh, clothes? Hip clothes. Uh, basically different, you know, things that I'd need to get rid of later. Not, not the same kind of clothes that I had on. I, I don't know what other better word to use it, uh, crime clothes or hip clothes. I just, just call them hip clothes. Uh, anyway, I walked from a car as a telephone uh, repairman. As I walked there, I donned the 
telephone helmet. I had a briefcase. Went to one other address just to kind of size up the house. I'd walked by it a couple times, but I wanted to check it a little bit more. Uh, as I approached it, I could hear a piano sound. And uh, went to this other door, knocked on them, and told them I was, that we were recently working on telephone repairs in the area. And then uh, went to her, went to her, and knocked on the door and asked her if I could come check her telephone lines inside. Did she allow you in? Yes, she did. So he's knocking on the doors again, and other doors. Um, he's just out of plain sight. Yeah, he is. He's just going on doors and hoping that someone answers. So he doesn't talk about so much of the. Um, trawling or trolling, whatever you like to call it. Hmm. Um, you know, but people are looking for a monster. They're not looking for a little short guy um, who's who's uh, be, pretending to be a telephone repairman or a door-to-door salesman. You know, we're expecting it to be some some creepy-looking person that is just sort of going to, like, bust open doors and they've got I, knives in their hands. I agree. And, and you're not going to think it's the guy that knocked on my door earlier today. When you hear about this in the news, whether it's that night or a couple of days later, you're not going to go... Oh well, there was a guy doing knock, knocking door to door. Yeah, you, you just wouldn't even think about that to be honest, because he appeared so normal. Well, exactly. When when people do complain, oh, you know, watch out, guys. There's some there's some creepy guys going around from door to door talking about solar panels and stuff like that. And everyone says how aggressive they are and everything like that. He's not. He's he's coming and saying, oh, there's something wrong with your telephone. Uh, can I just come in and check the line? That's not what people expect serial killers to do, and this is what they do mm. and because a monster isn't going to be let in. You know, they're going to have mm. to force their way. But, yeah, just knock, knocking on the door. I'm just going to check your phone, and what he does is actually cut the line. Mm. All right, let's continue. What happened then? I uh, went over and uh, found out where the telephone was, uh, simulated that I was checking the uh, telephone. I had a make-believe instrument, and uh, after she was looking away, I, I drew a pistol at her and, Ask her if she go back to the bedroom with me. Wow. So he doesn't think to wear a mask. He strangles people. They survive. He shot one victim in the head twice and he survives. But he has a pretend phone checker machine. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the stuff that I love. This just shows the thought process. I'm not going to hide my face. I'm going to be really dodgy at killing these people but when it comes to... He's not trying to to be dodgy though. No, he's not, but he's that hopeless. (laughs) He just is dodgy. Um, But he creates a machine that makes him look like that he's he's checking your phone. As soon as he walked in that door he could have just got the gun out there done. But no, he goes and plays this charade. This is part of his game. This is part of this power. He, like, there is even thoughts that um, he was working as a security guy or something, um, working for like AT&T or someone, and that people were getting him to come to their house to put in security systems so they weren't killed by BTK. And he was laughing, saying, well, like, I'm the one who's putting the things in. I know <laughs> wow. the pin numbers and everything. You know, but he goes and makes this silly phone checker. That's something that, that he has forethought for, but not to wear a mask. And also not to know where he's taking a body. Exactly. Mm. All right, let's continue. Is this the same 357 Magnum you used? No, this this was a different one. Different pistol. Are you asked her to go back to the bedroom with you after drawing a pistol on? Yes, sir. What happened then? Uh, I told her we went back to the bedroom. I told her I was going to have to tie her up. Uh, she was very upset, and I think we I used some material that was in. Uh, and that, that's another thing. I'm not sure, but I, I think I used the material that they had in their bedroom. And after I tied her hands, uh, she broke that and we started fighting. And we fought quite a bit back and forth. 
All right, she was physically fighting you? Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. What happened then? Uh, finally got the hand on her and got a, uh, a nylon sock and started strangling. So you wrapped the stocking around her neck? Yes. What happened then? Uh, I finally gained, the, gained on her and, and, and put her down, and I thought she was dead, but apparently she wasn't. But uh, after, after she was down and not moving anymore, I, I rearranged her clothes a little bit and took some quick photos, I think three of them, if I remember. And then uh, after that, I, there was a lot of commotion. Uh, she had mentioned something about her husband coming home. Uh, so I got out of there pretty quick. The dogs were raising a lot of cane in the back. Uh, the doors and the windows were all open to the house. A lot of noise when we were fighting. So I left pretty quickly after that. Put everything in the briefcase and had her. I'd already gone through her uh, purse and got the keys to the car and used her car for my getaway car. Again, he fails at killing before having to do it again. But now we hear about more photos. It's so amazing that each story, we're getting a little bit more information. This is why it's taken us four episodes to cover <laughs> a half-hour confession, because little bits come out. It's, I, I do find it really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, we, we do some confessions that sort of go on and on and on and, and we do giant slabs and we have, like, one piece of info. But this we're down to, like, 10 and 20-second pieces because it's so telling because at the start it was, oh, yeah, well, I had them all in the room and so I tied them all up and now we're getting down to these small little details because he's trying to show the stuff that is more important to him now because he doesn't want to talk about that he keeps failing. So he's just slowly, we're slowly sort of um, scratching away at the surface to see what else is happening. And mm. the photos, yeah, this is a thing now. Is it because in, in the 70s he, he couldn't afford to have a Polaroid camera and now he can or what? But, um, you know, it's just something that seems to be more important to him now is that he can keep these photographic um, evidence of what he's done and so this will actually sort of keep him going a bit longer because then he's got that visual because when these are happening as we know he's stuffing them up and he's in chaos and he's fighting with them and some are saying that they're in control and he's in control and all of this sort of stuff and so this sort of gives him a thing that he can go to in those quiet times and just sort of have that peacefulness about his um, sexual excitement rather than the chaos that happens at the time it's not like a Hollywood movie it's it's gross and violent and 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 how they kill is is never easy these victims don't just sort of go uh, and then die it does take a couple of goes so he can shoot someone in the head twice and they still get up and go and so there's blood everywhere and it's messy and you're panicking and you're thinking that any second you're about to get caught so all of that chaos is removed from a polaroid photo and so that's mm. what we're finding out about this now because this is different technology i mean i'm in webs i'm in face group now where I can actually see people they're live streaming murders and stuff and this is stuff that we, we're going to see forever because once it's out there it's out there but yeah. back then this was all hidden because Polaroids were um, not getting processed they were done in, in hand and you know so they didn't have to share but these days they want to share Interesting well, we're now at the last of the 10 known murders. The final murder, that of Dolores Davis, occurred in January 1991, four and a bit years after Vicky's death. Now, sir, let's turn to count 10. In that count, it's claimed that on or about the 18th day of January 1991 to the 19th day of January 1991 in the county of Sedgwick, state of Kansas, 
that you did then and there unlawfully kill a human being, that being Dolores E. Davis, maliciously, willfully, deliberately, and with premeditation by strangulation, inflicting injuries from which the said Dolores E. Davis did die on January 19, 1991. Mr. Rader, please tell me what you did here in Sedgwick County, Kansas on that day that makes you believe you're guilty. You know, that particular day I had some commitments, I left those, uh, went to one place, changed my clothes, went to another place, uh, parked my car, finally made arrangements on my hit kit, my clothes, and then walked to that residence. Uh, after spending some time at that residence, uh, it was very cold at night, uh, had reservations about going in. They, I had cased the place before, and I really couldn't figure out how to get in, and she was in the house, so I finally just uh, selected a, a concrete block and threw it through the plate glass window on the east and came on in. So there's no more door knocking. It's literally wham, bam, concrete, block. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's just like... Why are you laughing? I just find it so funny that he's gone through all of these things before of of hunting people and stalking people and checking mailboxes and checking their mail and watching what they do at work and writing down their their telephone numbers and doing this and doing this, doing this. We get to the last murder. He's a middle-aged man now. And, yeah, I'm not even going to bother knocking. I'm just going to pick up this big chunk of concrete and throw it through the window. It's just (laughs) absolutely, it's just, I don't know. It just, and someone's going to tell me it's cement, not concrete, but... I'm calling it concrete because he did. But this is a phenomena that happens uh, when a killer escalates. You know, it doesn't mean that there's um, more skill in, in their kills, but it's more about what they do. He's actually breaking down and he's getting older. You know, he's forgotten how he used to get in. He's frustrated. He's making more mistakes. And he's just like, yeah, stuff, it. I'm going into this house and this is how but I'm going to do it. But also he's not getting caught. So he just thinks, Except- why am I going through all the rigmarole? Uh, you know, like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, but this is a big risk because uh, knocking on a front door and being let in is very different to smashing a concrete block through sure. a window that people are going to hear. And these are all residential homes, you know, but it's just so amazing. It's often when they do this escalation that they do take these sort of risks, but he's been making risks the whole time. I, Looking back now that we know everything that's happened and how he actually went about it, it just perplexes me that he did get away with it. This is just mm. so amazing. And it's purely because back then we were looking for the crazy, scary guy that eats men. Um, we mm. weren't looking for the middle-aged guy, the, 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 the dad, the husband. And so the fact, I, I, I just find it funny that he's gone through all of these ruses before, you know, oh, I'm wanted in California and I just need to steal your car and your watch and stuff like this, that now he just goes, yeah, screw this and just throws the boulder. <laughs> well, then he goes through more details of the murder. Where is this residence located? It's on Hillside, but I couldn't give you the address. I know it's probably 61, probably 62-something. Oh, 62-something. North or south? North. North Hillside. All right, so you used a concrete block to break the window? Mm-hmm. Plate glass window, patio door. Mm-hmm. What happened then? Uh, noise. I just went in. Uh, she came out of the bedroom and thought that a car had hit her house, and I told her that I, was, uh, I used the, the roots of uh, being wanted, uh, I was on the run. I needed food, car, warmth, warm up, and uh, and I asked her. I handcuffed her and uh, kind of talked to her. Told her that I would like to get some food, get her keys, her car, and kind of rest assured. You know, walk, talk with her a little bit, and calmed her down a little bit. And, uh, and 
then eventually I checked. Uh, I think she was still handcuffed. I uh, went back and checked out where the car was. Uh, simulated getting some food, odds and ends in the house. Felt like I was leaving. Then went back and uh, removed her handcuffs and, uh, and then tied her up. And then and then eventually strangled her. Or did you say eventually strangled her? Well, after I tied her up. I went through some things in the room there and then, and then strangled her. You say you went through, were you looking for something? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a personal items, yes. I took some personal items from there. Did you take personal items in every one of these incidents? Uh, I did on the hedge. Uh, I don't remember anything of uh, Vicky's place. We have Charles, we got the watch and the radio. I don't think I did any brights. Uh, Vians, no, I don't think so. Fox, yes, I picked some things from Fox. It was hit and miss. All right. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the fact that he's escalating and taking shortcuts, but he's still relying on some of the old tricks, especially the tricks to make them feel a sense of safety. I'm not after you. I'm on the run. I just need supplies, some comfort, you know, like... It, that is different than when you think your life is at risk as opposed yeah. to someone who just needs food. Yeah, yeah. And and it's the whole food thing, which is why um, there was rumours uh, before they caught D'Angelo that they thought BTK and Golden State Killer could have been the same person because they both ate at some of the residences. Mm. So there was that sort of link there. Um, but this concrete block was so big that she thought a car hit her house. Now, if you're on the run, are you going to do something that dramatic or are you going to try and sneak in? It's just so odd that he, he did this aggressive behaviour and then he's gone back to what he's comfortable with. As you said, it's, it's using that ruse of I'm on, on the run. Um, but it's interesting too that he now talks about that he handcuffed her and, and the uh, tie-ups only come later. So mm. are we seeing that he is losing that touch and that he doesn't have the energy and strength? Or is it because he just threw a massive concrete block so that he just can't be bothered and ha handcuffs are quicker? I don't know. But it's quite interesting that, um, that he did this big dramatic thing but then still went back and, and did the I'm on the run. Yeah. And, and look, the other thing that I picked up on was that, you know, early he's had trouble remembering names. Now he's listing them off, all those first names, like they're old friends. Yeah, I mean, it's just how he's just he playing the game. Them? Sorry? Was he reading them or...? No, no, not he. He was just going through them and rattling them off and and not having any trouble whatsoever. So it just is, is he now in a groove and it's working easier? Was he flustered before and sort of was forgetting them, um, mm. which I highly doubt. Um, but it's just, it's just he knows the details he needs when he needs to. Yeah. Well, he then takes the body with him like he did before. Probably if it, if, it was, if it was a control situation where I had more time, I took something. But if it, if it was a confusion and other things, I didn't because I was trying to get out of there. All right. So in regard to the Davis matter, you went around the room, took a few personal things. What did you do then? Uh, strangled her. What did you strangle her with? Pantyhose. All right. What happened then? Uh, I kind of like uh, Mrs. Hedge. Uh, I already figured out my... I had a you know plan on leaving and uh, put her in a blanket and drove her to the car, put her in the trunk of the car. So you were able to strangle her to death with these pantyhose? Yes, sir. All right, you put her in your car. In her car. In car. Her, her car. car. Uh -huh. The trunk of her car. Uh -huh. What happened then? Uh, 
I really had a commitment I needed to go to, so I moved her to one spot, took her out of her car. This gets complicated. Then the stuff I had, clothes, gun, whatever, I took that to another spot in her car, dumped that off, okay, then took her car back to her house, uh, left that, let me think now, okay, in the interim, I took her car back to her house. In the interim, I realized that I had lost one of my guns. I dropped it somewhere. So I was trying to figure out where my gun was. So I went back in the house, realized I had dropped it when I went in the, when I broke the plate glass window. It dropped and fell on the floor right there, and I found it right there. So that solved that problem. Anyway, I went back out, uh, threw the keys, uh, checked the car real quick, quick like, uh, and threw the keys up on top of the roof of her house, walked from her car back to my car, Took my car, drove it back, and I either dropped more stuff off or I picked her up and put them in my car. And then I drove up uh, northeast of uh, Sedgwick County and dropped her off underneath the bridge. He's not wrong when he says it's getting a little complicated. The um, thing that makes it really interesting is that he is dropping a gun at the crime scene, you know? Like... <laughs> Oh, evidence. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but had he left it, maybe we would have caught him then. But um, mm. it's just, it's so convoluted. You know, oh, well, I drove here and then I had to go back and move that car and then I had to go back over here and then I had to move her into that car and then I had to move the car up to the next room and then I had to come back and then I lost my gun so I had to go back into the house after I'd already cleaned up and it's because of the plate glass window. Then I actually went and got her house keys and I threw them on top of the roof and then I went back to my car and then I did. I mean, yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, but there is rhyme and, and, and reason to what he does because this is part of his routines and this is what he had wanted to do is remove the victims from the house. But it's, oh, my God, so much effort. And the fact that he went in and out of her house multiple times, how did he not get seen by people? You know, it's just mm. absolutely amazing. Well, the judge then sums up the proceedings. So all of these incidents, these ten counts occurred because you wanted to satisfy a sexual fantasy, is that correct? Yes. Does any party desire any further uh, matters be put on the record at this time? No, Your Honor. All right, you may be seated, Mr. Ray. Oh. I will find that you, Dennis L. Rader, have knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily waived your constitutional rights and entered your pleas of guilty. I will find that you understand the nature of the charges and the consequences of your pleas. Based upon your statements to the court, I will find there are factual bases for each of these pleas of guilty. I will accept these pleas of guilty and adjudge you, Dennis L. Rader, guilty of murder in the first degree in count one, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count two, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count three, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count four, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count five, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count six, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count seven, a class A felony, murder in the first degree in count eight, a class A felony, 
murder in the first degree in count nine, a class A felony, and murder in the first degree in count 10, a class A felony. In August 2005, Raider faced the families of his victims who read our impact statements before Raider spoke for half an hour in a long-winded semi-apology, which we may do in another episode at another time. He was then sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences and he is forced to serve at least 175 years before he can apply for parole. Amanda, that was a great episode to end this season, season 10 of Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Thank you, as always, for your insight. And thank you for your insight, Robert. I'm loving that you're, like, getting so involved. There's some episodes that you just sort of go, yeah, okay, but it's not happening anymore you're like challenging me and you're like right up here so um two and a half years or however long we've been doing this it's been amazing to do this with you and um this has been a big journey this season especially Mm, um but you you know when someone has to wait 175 years before they can apply for parole i just i just like that (laughs) Mm, exactly look we will return in the coming weeks with a brand new season as amanda says she's got plenty to go but we'll take a short break for a couple of weeks and then we'll see you for season 11 of monsters who murder serial killer confessions in the meantime More bonus content will be going at patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Robert. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.